friends, I'm Tabby. And I'm Caitlin. And today we will be discussing The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid. It is a good one. It's uh, very popular. Um, it's actually like the version I have has its own little book club favorites reader's guide in it. Ooh. So that's kind of how the synopsis thing I saw was like it had like talking yeah. points yeah so like everyone's into this one not just us so well it was nice it was refreshing it was very different than like what you typically read which I really enjoyed um yeah. I feel like sometimes it's very like cookie cutter some of the books that we do so yeah exciting. this one was breaking all of your expectations on the ground and I loved it because like right whenever you thought things were going to be happy they were like hmm just kidding. This book is essentially just an ongoing Greek tragedy. I love that so much. Like it just feels so real whenever books are like that. Yeah. Yeah. Who I'll needs start- a happily ever after? Not us. <laughs> Not me. I'll start by reading the back of the book here. So it says reclusive Hollywood icon Evelyn Hugo is finally ready to tell the truth about her glamorous and scandalous life. But when she chooses unknown magazine reporter Monique Grant to write her story, no one is more astounded than Monique herself. Determined to use this opportunity to jumpstart her career, Monique listens in fascination. From making her way to Los Angeles in the 1950s to leaving show business in the 80s, and of course, the seven husbands along the way, Evelyn unspools a tale of ruthless ambition, unexpected friendship, and a great forbidden love. But as Evelyn's story nears its conclusion, it becomes clear that her life intersects with Monique's own in tragic and irreversible ways. Written with Reed's signature talent for creating complex, likable characters, this is a mesmerizing journey through the splendor of old Hollywood into the sobering realities of the present day as two women struggle with what it means and what it costs to face the truth. I love old Hollywood stories. Me too. It was such a wild time. And <laughs> it's so captivating. And what's like really crazy is like all the documentaries and stuff coming out now that are mm-hmm. like, yeah, nothing's really changed. Like it's still no. a horrible, horrible place. Um, yeah. It's just like people are forced to do crazy things to like get ahead. And I mean, yeah, like I said, it still hasn't changed, but oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, especially like in the fifties and sixties, like shit was wild. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And before that too, in like the twenties and thirties, even yeah. like forcing actresses to like do speed at like age 16. To, Looking like, at perform. you, Judy Garland. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Anyway, we'll get to some of those um, similarities as well. But we'll start off here with the synopsis, which we're actually... Um, we didn't write our own this week because yeah, life is so good, too. Um, this one's by bookrags.com. Um, and, and they also have, like, additional, like, study guide stuff mm-hmm. that you can purchase if you so are if, interested. <laughs> if for whatever reason you are reading this book in high school <laughs> and you would like some help on it if you have $20 and access to the internet you can do a study guide on it you know I think honestly this would be a good one to use like for a high school class I think that they should do that like a world lit class maybe yeah yeah if I had Um, to read the handmaid's tale like they can probably handle Evelyn Hugo yeah yeah it's fine your family is dark (laughs) I mean some of those things we read in high school yeah (laughs) we're fine (laughs) 
Um, okay, so to kick off the synopsis, Monique Grant, a 35-year-old writer for Vivant magazine, was informed by her editor that she's been chosen to interview a reclusive actress, Evelyn Hugo, 79, about her decision to auction off her dresses in order to make a donation to a breast cancer charity. Monique is a junior writer and is unsure why she's been chosen by Hugo, but she goes to the actress's Upper East Side apartment to meet her. Once there, Evelyn informs Monique that she actually wishes for her to write a biography because she has decided to finally tell the truth about certain aspects of her private life. So she's like super reclusive. No one's heard from her in a long time. So this is like a really big opportunity uh, for any writer. So yes, Evelyn Hugo launches into her life story. At 14, living with her abusive father in Hell's Kitchen, Evelyn marries her first husband, Ernie Diaz, in exchange for a ride to Hollywood. Once there, she is discovered by Harry Cameron, a young producer working for Sunset Studios. Evelyn seduces an executive at Sunset in order to get the part of Joe in an adaptation of Little Women. The studio wishes her to be seen publicly dating famous men, so she divorces Ernie Diaz. She falls for fellow actor Don Adler on their first date, and they marry. Don quickly becomes abusive, however, and beats her when she does not obey his whims. The production of Little Women goes ahead, and Evelyn, now 21, stars opposite Celia St. James, 19. Evelyn is initially jealous of Celia's talent, but the two quickly form a bond. At a party after the opening of the film, a friend tells Evelyn that Cecilia is a lesbian. Evelyn confronts Celia in private to ask if this is true. Celia asks if she will no longer be her friend if it is, and Evelyn kisses her. At the same party, Don Adler has sex with another woman. Evelyn divorces Don and moves in with Celia. So Evelyn is ostracized in Hollywood because the industry is loyal to Don. They very much like take his side and things. He's more prominent because he's a man. Yes. And so she goes to Paris and stars in a racy film by French director Max Girard that reignites her career. A tabloid runs an article suggesting that Evelyn and Celia are lesbians and Evelyn concocts a plan to hide their relationship. She will get Mick Riva, a singer who has made his crush on Evelyn publicly known, to take her to Las Vegas and marry her, then get the marriage annulled in the morning. This, she believes, will distract the press. The plan works perfectly, except Evelyn, who had to sleep with Mick in order to get him to marry her, is pregnant. Evelyn gets an abortion, but Celia is furious and leaves her, and they don't speak for five years. After starring in an adaptation of Anna Karenina, Evelyn enters into a sham marriage with her co-star Rex North in order to gain publicity for their film. Shortly thereafter, Rex impregnates his girlfriend and Evelyn spins another story that she has also been cheating with Harry Cameron, who in reality is a closeted gay man, um, and Evelyn and Celia, who entered into her own sham marriage with an NFL quarterback named John Braverman, who is also gay, reunite. Evelyn marries Harry, and Celia and John move in with them, two homosexual couples passing as two heterosexual couples. Um, Life is idyllic for Evelyn during this period, and when Harry suggests they have a child, Evelyn, now 36, agrees. They have a baby girl and name her Connor. Evelyn stars in another Max Gerard movie, and the director asks her to film an explicit sex scene. She acquiesces. Evelyn realizes afterwards that she should have discussed this with Celia first, so she goes to Celia to ask permission. Celia asks her not to film the scene, and Evelyn must admit she already did. Celia leaves Evelyn, and they are once again separated for several years. In the interim, John Braverman dies, and Harry is crushed. He begins drinking excessively. 
Max Gerard proposes to Evelyn. She marries him, but immediately discovers that he does not really love her, only the status and fame she brings to the relationship. She stays married to him for six years and then leaves him to reunite with Celia. Celia suggests they move to Spain to avoid public scrutiny. She also tells Evelyn that she has emphysema and is not expected to live another 10 years. Evelyn asks Harry to go with them, and he suggests that Celia marry the new man that he's been seeing. Before this plan can move forward, Evelyn arrives at Harry's house one day to discover a car accident out front. Harry is unconscious in the driver's seat, and the man in the passenger seat, Harry's lover, is dead. Evelyn convinces her taxi driver to help her to get Harry to the hospital so that he's not charged with the crime, and then Harry later dies at the hospital. Evelyn, Celia, and Connor move to Spain, along with Celia's brother, Robert, whom Evelyn agrees to marry to disguise her relationship with Celia. Celia passes away six years later, and Robert dies a few years after that. And then Connor is diagnosed with breast cancer, and she also passes. Evelyn explains that she has been diagnosed with breast cancer, and she wants people to know the truth about her life, that her family was always her central priority. She did some terrible things, but she did them for love. Monique asks Evelyn what she means, and Evelyn responds that Monique's father was the passenger in Harry's car. Evelyn allowed the authorities to believe that James had been driving drunk by moving Harry from the scene. Monique is furious, and she storms out, but it occurs to her that Evelyn has told her all this because she intends to end her life. She considers calling 911, but decides that it should be Evelyn's choice if she wants to die. Monique realizes that she will forgive Evelyn one day. And Evelyn's death is reported as an accidental overdose, and Monique publishes the introduction for her biography in Vivant, finally disclosing that the true love of Evelyn's life was not one of her seven husbands. Super crazy book. That's just a very brief synopsis, so like, if you want the actual details, actually read it. Every aspect of her life is covered in detail in what she, like, discloses to Monique, so the book is, like, far more interesting than that. Mm -hmm. Um, it like goes into detail of each one of her husbands. And I love like how the book parts are named because it'll like describe the man that she's married to at that mm-hmm. point. Harry's my favorite. Oh, I love Harry. Harry. Okay. So like, it'll say poor Ernie Diaz or like goddamn Don Adler. <laughs> I love it. And so it kind of like sets the tone for how that marriage went. Um, so I really thought that was a fun aspect. Obviously, none of them are promising, but... Yeah, except for Harry. Except for <laughs> Harry. Harry was a good man. He was dealt a bad deal in life. Yeah, and, you know, made some mistakes along the way. That's one of the great things. They about all did, book. though. What would you rate this book? Initially, because it was so different than what I normally read, I was going to actually give it an eight and a half out of ten. But I gave it a ten out of ten just based off of the writing itself and the way like it ended. Because like I said, it's very, very different than what we typically cover. Um, most books just due to public pressure, like have like a happily ever after in the end. And this one didn't. And I really respected that. It was very real. And you kind of got to see again how like old Hollywood affected like individuals. Yeah. And it's like, in a way, it's more respectful to the yeah. to the victims of Hollywood because like, they don't they do some shitty stuff. After. <laughs> like their lives have been ruined by this industry. And most of them don't even make it to as old as Evelyn did. Like most of them died before their 40s. True. Like with drug overdoses mm-hmm. or, you know, other, you know, unfortunate things. 
Um, I agree. It's a 10 out of 10 for me. I really love like complex characters aren't mm-hmm. who like have horrible flaws, but we end up rooting for them. Like in spite of that, like, <laughs> they were actually all morally gray in this book. <laughs> yes. I freaking stand morally gray characters. And I think it has like a lot of insightful commentary about true love um, and kind of the way that you behave whenever you truly love someone and how selfishly you act. Mm -hmm. And I also think that it has, you know, a lot of commentary as well about like societal values and like a lot of the issues that come with that. So I really think this book covers a lot of important things in such a nonchalant way. It's just like, yeah, um, I like covered up a crime because I loved him too much. Like I didn't want him to get blamed for that. So my bad. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. But, and it's like, she even says that in the end, she's like, yeah, I do it again. And I do even worse if I had to. And it's like, yeah, yeah okay. Like, like I get if it. If I knew that like he could be saved, then yeah, I would have fucked up some more shit. Absolutely. I love it. And so we'll kind of jump right in with the characters because these characters are all flawed in wonderful ways. And so we'll start with Monique, who is the writer. One of the best like thoughts that Monique has in the entire book, and it it just like wraps up everything perfectly. Resonates with me deeply. It resonates with everyone so deeply, but it's at the end of the book. So like at this point, Monique already knows everything Evelyn has done. She already knows Evelyn plans to take her life. And on page 375, she says, I hate Evelyn, but I think I like her very much. Um, and so she's like wrestling with like the actual guilt that you would feel if you knew someone wanted to take their life, you would be like, okay, well, obviously I should talk them out of it. But the whole reason that Evelyn chose Monique is because Monique wrote this article about the right to die whenever people have been diagnosed with, um, like fatal illnesses Mm -hmm. that cause you to become extremely ill and have poor quality of life. So I guess she's suicides. Yeah, exactly. And so like she understands like that people deserve the right to like die with dignity Mm -hmm. on their own terms whenever they're in like horrible situations like that. And so that's like what stops her from going back. But she has like so many impulses to go and like kick down the door. I also think Evelyn, you know, I think she was also a little angry too with like the fact that Evelyn knew this whole time, like what truly happened to her father. And she is just like, "Mm." yeah. So she's like, part of her is like, what if she dies? Um, (laughs) She kind of did some shitty stuff, but also I, like I said, I was in the same boat as Monique because Evelyn is just a very complex character in this book. And like, there were times and I was like, wow, you suck. Um, And that was like crazy shitty thing to do to like other people. But also I, understood like I understood why she did it and where she came from and so like that's what makes a good character is when you like can't decide if you love them or hate them because like if you were in their shoes like you'd probably do the same exactly should we just cover Evelyn really quick and then jump back to Monique because I feel like we're talking about her a lot which Evelyn is obviously like the center of the book and it makes sense but um Evelyn I feel like has never been dealt a good hand in her life like she had an awful childhood living with her abusive father in poverty and 
literally marries someone to escape that. Like it's a ticket out of her already horrible life. And the guy that she marries is like, he's fine. Yeah. Like he's not, he's not abusive to her. It's not like an attentive husband though. Yeah. Like he's not, he's not a good partner and she doesn't have like feelings for him in, in that way. And like, he certainly is not like rooting for her success really he's just like oh yeah this this young attractive lady wants to marry me so obviously I'm going to say yes kind of thing which is also kind of creepy too because she's very yeah she was like 15 (laughs) yeah like it's um you know it's very questionable but also like (laughs) it was you know, the fifties or something, I think. So that was a lot, I guess. In the yeah, 50s. I guess they, they were like cool with that back then, but yeah, it's like, she's not really stepping up in the world. She's just kind of not being abused on the day to day that she was before, but yeah, she kind of just like works her way up. And whenever these like circumstances keep being like dealt to her, basically, she manipulates them in a way that like benefits, benefits her, but her. Yeah. It takes her a while to get like powerful enough to be able to do that mm-hmm. though. I so, mean, she definitely worked for what she had and like, she oh, knew yeah. how to play the game and like, yeah, no, that was dope on her part, but like she still did. Oh yeah. She did both questionable things. things. <laughs> um, but I have like the uh, direct quote where she says on page 359, she said to Monique, Make sure it's clear that of all the things I did to protect my family, I would do every one again. And I would have done more, would have behaved even uglier if I thought I could have saved them. So she's not remorseful. Um, But then you think about like, okay, how would you act? And I do the family was like actually in danger. Like what choices would you make? So she also says on page 366, Uh, nobody deserves anything. It's simply a matter of who's willing to go and take it for themselves. No one is just a victim or a victor. Everyone is somewhere in between. People who go around casting themselves as one or the other are not only kidding themselves, but they're also painfully unoriginal. So she is like so unapologetic for all of this. Like she's just told Monique all of this horrible, horrible stuff. And she's like, listen, you would have done it too. Uh, Don't pretend like you wouldn't have. It's not becoming. (laughs) <laughs> Monique, don't lie to yourself, girly. She told it like it is, and you can you can have nothing but respect for that. I also just kind of going back to Monique really quick. I enjoyed her character because I enjoy characters like kind of in that narrator type of role. Like it reminds me of like Great Gatsby with like Nick and like mm-hmm. and, like I don't know. I really enjoy like kind of peeking in behind the curtain of it and then getting more information like later on, like once you are you know, kind of finish getting the perspective of that main character. Same thing with like the silent patient. I love that you got everything from like a narrator point of view and then you got to peek behind the curtain. Same. Yeah. I also love that role in the book. And Monique is also just like an interesting character because she's working things out in her own personal life at Mm -hmm. the time. Um, Like, so like during the time that she's interviewing Evelyn and everything, she is also like going through a separation with her husband And there's um, like a growth throughout the book in that as well, because like they have been, both of them have been acting like selfish little brats. Yeah. Like he, um, 
basically wants to move and she doesn't because she's focused on her career and he takes that really poorly. And so when he moves out, he like literally steals their coffee table for no reason because he's like, that's my coffee table. And then he just like puts it in storage just so she can't have it. And so like, they're both being so petty. Um, But there is like, eventually at the end of the book, there's growth and there's closure. resolution. Yeah. And then they're both like, Hey, we were, we were both acting stupid and, and they are able to like end things maturely. But at the same time, like there's a lot of like issues going on that kind of led to the separation with her husband because she's so obsessed with her career, which I think a lot of people kind of get that way and it makes sense. Like a career is very important, but the reason why it's like up there for her is her like black woman in the work field. Yes. And she's like so hung up on it too. And it leads to like a lot of unhealthy dynamics in her like relationships. For sure. Well, and I think she just has like so much respect for like her own boss and like seeing how like successful they've become like she kind of puts that like weight upon her shoulders and so like there's so many just unhealthy coping mechanisms that she has throughout the book and like obviously everything with like unresolved with her father and like her own mom like she's got Mm -hmm. a lot going on she does and it makes her so relatable and also interesting as a character because she you can tell very much loves her mother but she gets like frustrated with her yeah because she kind of feels like her mom doesn't get it. And like, you know, by the end of the book, she's like, oh, it's like I wasn't giving her enough credit. And then also, obviously, everything she learns about her dad kind of like at the end of the book flips her ideas like her, of him upside down. Her mom was like married to a gay man. And like, yeah, that's probably a lot to. Yeah, I'm sure it led to a lot unpackage. of package. Oh, yeah. yeah. Her and her mom both need to go to therapy, um, both individually and together. <laughs> it's fine. It was the way of the 50s. I enjoyed Monique. I thought she was a cool character. Like I said, I like the narrator point of view. Basically, they're God looking in to the story. <laughs> um, Celia. So I see that you also like kind of love her or hate her. I thought she was manipulative she is she is like super manipulative um I mean so is Evelyn yeah and like I do think they did love each other very much but I think that's what kind of like I said caused like almost that Greek tragedy type vibe was because they were two people and I feel like they were two like same sides of the coin like they were too much alike and so that's inevitably what caused like kind of the downfall of their relationship Um, and they do eventually like find each other again but it was not meant to be forever yeah it's kind of like by the time they get back together it's too late it's too late yeah because they had both been in their own way and there obviously were a lot of circumstances that prevented them from being together like they just they couldn't be in an openly gay relationship in their position in their life and even if they hadn't been famous like that would have been dangerous it would have been looked down upon yeah so it's just like i am totally not blaming them for that no but but i feel like choices they made as people not pertaining specifically to their relationship like 100 percent. like the whole thing where evelyn is like okay, so I'm going to film this scene um, because I know it'll be like 
a great like artistic choice and it'll be yeah she's like this is like this is like what I need and all that really mattered is that Evelyn was comfortable with it and made that choice on her own but then Celia like gets super butthurt about it like she's super jealous um because Evelyn is actually bisexual and Celia is not Celia is a lesbian and so Celia is literally like she sees everyone in Evelyn's life as competition, which is not how it's unhealthy works. <laughs> yeah. So she's like assuming that Evelyn's just like more likely to be like she's on sleeping her. with like every single like man yeah. and woman she comes across, which is like Celia playing into the the like reputation that the tabloids have created for Evelyn. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, she was being really unfair in situations like that so she was getting in their way just as much as Evelyn was right yeah she I will talk about it later like her whole like illness that she had and just like springing that up like it's just very selfish yeah and like she's just a selfish person and like so is Evelyn and I get it but like she waited so long and like they had so many falling outs and she could have told her so many times that like she's dealing with all this and she chose not to. And I really feel like it was more for like dramatic effect. Like, yeah, she's like, well, like that's too little, her. too late. Yeah, exactly. She's like, well, joke's on you. <laughs> I'm actually dying. Like, huh, okay. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. She's all right. No, I agree. It, but again, it comes back to like every character here. Low key sucks. Yeah, but they're also great. (laughs) And then there's Harry. Harry is the only person I truly loved in this book. (laughs) It's, like, really hard to be mad at Harry. It's really hard to be mad at Harry. And I, like, just, it makes, his ending makes me so, so sad. Because I really do think he loved John so dearly. And it took such a big toll on him when he died. And he, you know didn't handle it well but I also don't think he had the support he needed to like handle it healthily because he was also living with two women who one he was pretending to be married to and the other one was pretending to be married to his lover and it's like what are you supposed to do in that situation plus like he also had like a a type of career that he had to put first as well so like the stress of that and then keeping that separate from his personal life because it would mm-hmm. have affected his career. You can't mourn publicly for this yeah. man. And yeah, they would be like, why are you so like, we get it. You were friends, but like, why is your life like uprooted yeah. that because this man died? It's like really freaking sad. And then whenever he finally feels like he's like found someone that he can be in love with again which happens to be Monique's father. Monique's father right. is like, listen, I cannot live with you in Europe because my family is here, my wife and my child. And he that loved is- his wife as a best friend, just like Harry loved Evelyn. And so he was like, I cannot like leave them. Um, and that just does it. <laughs> yeah. Harry was like, I can't. I'm gonna go and you're coming it. with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I don't think that Harry, I definitely don't think he intended to like kill I them, but either. I I don't think that he it like he gave probably, a shit anymore. He probably because, didn't try super hard to prevent it either. <laughs> yeah, because like that does seem out of character for him to like drive the car drunk. For sure. Um, and I 
obviously it's because he was not doing well mentally right. but like yeah because I don't he think cared Harry about Evelyn and he cared about Connor and like I don't think he would have wanted to leave them alone like he did but exactly yeah you know. I agree but it's just really really freaking sad um I will say the first time that I read this book I totally like saw it coming from a mile away that oh absolutely he's that Monique's dad was going to be like um Harry's lover Mm -hmm. and like I don't remember what it was that tipped me off I think it was like whenever he was telling Evelyn oh yeah I met someone I met him on like the the set of Mm -hmm. and I was like oh okay well her dad was like a photographer on yeah I think it's because she made such a big deal about her dad and like how important like how much like it affected her like life basically yeah. and then when Harry's like oh I've met this man it's like oh okay yeah and <laughs> like, I we haven't like, talked oh, about okay. money dad in a little bit <laughs> yeah I was like so how how did you end up killing him like I was just waiting for it yeah but yeah it was really sad um and then just like another like smaller but important character I mean we can talk about a, like a couple of the husbands of if we husbands. Want to. yeah <laughs> but um Dawn I feel like he was a really important one because Dawn actually made Evelyn feel loved for the first time like she had felt desired before because she is a like a sexually attractive woman and so she thought that was like all she had to offer but Don made her feel like seen and important mm-hmm. and talented um and he like swept her off her feet and so it was like that was a turning point for Evelyn for sure and just the fact that he was such a prominent like person um in Hollywood he was like the golden boy like the go-to romantic yeah. lead and so she was like my life is perfect. Like my life is turning into a movie itself. And she was just like completely swept away in all the magic just for him to like turn around and abuse her. Yeah. So she was like, wow, knocked down (laughs) from that real quick. (laughs) No, he was like the Marlon Brando of like this time period. Like that's exactly like how Marlon Brando was. And like, I don't know. It's so sad. But also, I think it was very important in the chain reaction that led to, like, her, you know, finally making that move towards Celia and, yeah, like, getting her life kickstarted. So he was an important character. Yeah, he did lead her, inevitably, to Cecilia. Um, If he didn't hit her, he probably probably would have stayed with (laughs) Yeah, true. She probably would have been like, all right, this is, I guess, this is fine. Um, But, yeah, she just got to meet Cecilia and then have the most tragic drawn out love story of all time. Thanks, Dawn. <laughs> Thanks, Dawn. <laughs> um, who are some of the others? Uh, Max Gerard is pretty important too. Cause he sure. like kind of like reignited her career for her. Um, and also like Max was the other person that she ever had feelings for besides Cecilia and Dawn. So that, that was hard for her because a lot of the people that Evelyn was married to, she did not have romantic feelings for. Yeah. And so whenever she was explaining to Celia, like, no, like I did also love him. That made Ce- Cecilia, Celia, <laughs> we just finished the Raven. We finished Ravenhead. It's fine. <laughs> um, that made Celia even more reluctant to want to be with Evelyn because she, again, she's so jealous and she just like assumes that, Evelyn's love is like fickle because of her sexuality. And so I think that's like 
something that Celia needs to work on. But I think sure. it's a kind of a an attitude that people have today, even about bisexual. People, yeah, women. people who are bisexual or pansexual, they're like, well, how is that possible? Like you're just being selfish. And, yeah, yeah. Like you're just going through a phase. Like you just can't decide. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it kind of, it, it shows like how that type of sexuality is devalued. But I also really liked that that was included in this book because yeah. it brings up a good point because obviously Celia loves Evelyn. Like she's, she's not willing to kill for her and yeah so like she that's not in question but she just can't accept that part of Evelyn really it's very hard for her until the end like whenever they finally get back together when they're older she's like able to accept that because she I think she even corrects herself when she says at one point she's like we're gay and then she was like oh I mean I'm a lesbian and you're bisexual and so she like kind of is able to finally overcome that like prejudice that she had had. Yeah. Which is funny because like you don't think about um someone who identifies as a lesbian as being prejudiced against another they are like queer person. But yeah. Like within the queer community, I feel like it's very like gatekept like being like yes. And like everyone knows about like um like just the term like bisexual erasure. It's a, it's an actual problem. I think a lot of people feel like they don't actually feel seen or understood or yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's really sad. It is. And I did like that. That was like kind of tackled in this book. Definitely. So some things that we liked about this book, obviously there's been quite a few already, but um, one that was really prevalent throughout the entire story was the role of the tabloids throughout the book mixed with Evelyn's just firsthand accounts of her life and what we see um, that the news like often had it wrong and like how we got to hear it like while she's telling it to um, Monique. And so I think that was really cool because not only did she kind of use it to her advantage, she spun the stories and like put her into the limelight, but it also just shows like the importance of, or not really the importance of, but like how big of a difference like the tabloids can play in like a star's life. Another part where that's kind of funny how you can see how Evelyn like uses it to her advantage in the end, whenever she is leaving Max for Celia and she's like, it's been over. Like you didn't actually love me. And he's like, I'm going to tell them that you're gay. And she's like, well, first of all, she's like, I'm not gay. Actually, he calls her a dyke. Um, So it's pretty obviously derogatory. Yeah. Yeah. And so she's like, well, actually, joke's on you. I'm not a dyke, but you can tell them whatever you want. Um, And so she's like, I literally don't care. Like, go for it. They won't believe you, basically. It's kind of what she's saying. And they don't. Like, in the tabloids, they're like, clearly, he's just, like, upset. uh, He's saying anything and everything because he's mad. Well, and she's just played everything so perfectly for them to be like, why would you even think that? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They're like, what? She's only ever been married to men. What do you mean? She's been married to seven men. She has such passionate affairs with these men. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it's it's funny, but it's like she kind of like has the tabloids in the palm of her hand by the end of her life. It's amazing. Oh, I love this quote specifically because Monique the whole time has like, she's been confused why Evelyn would choose her to write this book. And at the end, 
again, at this point, Monique knows everything about Evelyn. Like she's revealed everything. And she says to Monique, whatever book you write about me, it will not have easy answers, but it will, I predict, be unflinching. And I'm just like, that is such a good word to describe like Evelyn as a person and how her biography should be written. Yeah. Unflinching. I just love that. Yeah. She's just like, I don't give a fuck. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And that's what... That's so just right, what you need to write. And like she's like, yeah, call the call the press. The focus on the platonic love was my favorite part of the entire book. And just like the importance of it. So the focus on how platonic love can play a major role in the life of a partnership, specifically like, you know, Evelyn and Harry and the Monique's parents. I think that was like so, so important to have that aspect, even though they were like hiding from the public and they were, you know, trying to basically create this like storyline for themselves to the public eye. Like that was a ride or die that she had there. Like, yeah, the love that they had for each other was almost more important than the love that Evelyn had for Celia. Like Harry went above and beyond and like Monique's parents went above and beyond. And so I think, and I'll talk about this later too. And like the ties to old Hollywood, but like, that is just such a special like friendship that they had exactly and it it feels even more important because it's like they didn't love each other because it was like a passionate romantic thing they loved each other because they chose each other and like they they cared about each other for who they were like and it wasn't some kind of whirlwind romance that just led to them being you know infatuated with each other like Celia and Evelyn it was like even more meaningful than that. Yeah. Like that was something that like she didn't have to do, but it was like what she was meant to do. Like she was meant to be Harry's friend. They were meant to go on that path together. Yeah. And it's even more tragic whenever Rest she in peace, Harry. Harry. Cause that's just where things start going downhill for Miss Evelyn. Unfortunately, yeah. the irony of Evelyn's breast cancer that she ends up developing um, Monique kind of considers the fact that it's the very thing that made her that will be the thing to take her down because Evelyn, uh, unfortunately, was targeted as like a sex bomb, um, you know, for the movie industry because she had like a large assets. She was a busty woman and they were like, oh, okay, yeah, we can go with that. Like it's um, unfortunate that that's like kind of the thing that got her in the door but she was like well I'm gonna show them I'm talented and she did yeah so then the fact that she's dying of breast cancer Monique is like that's funny (laughs) (laughs) wow what a what a what a time to be alive you know (laughs) it's it's awful but it's like it's it's fun to find the humor in things you know (laughs) you know you can't you can't beat him join him um (laughs) The other thing, I've already talked a little bit about, like, the Greek tragedy aspect of this story. Um, so it's very much, like, a star-crossed lover's story. Um, so basically, like, in any good Greek tragedy, like, you do have your two main characters who fall in love. Um, but everything and anything is put in their way to keep them apart. And so if you look at, like, Petroclus and um, Achilles or, like, Helen of Troy, like, someone always dies in the end. And... Like, as much as they try to be together, like, it's just not meant to be. And so I feel like that's kind of what happened in this scenario where, like, life just kept throwing them, like, different circumstances. And although they did end up together towards the end of their life, she was dying. And so she passed away. And then, 
you know, Evelyn lost literally everybody in her life. And so I feel like that is the basis of a Greek tragedy. Yeah. And it hits, it hits hard. Yeah. It was rough. You felt those losses. So the biggest thing that I wanted to kind of talk about for this book are the ties to old Hollywood. I feel like a lot of characteristics were drawn from Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe actually did have quite a few similarities to Evelyn herself. Um, She was raised in a fairly abusive, overly religious family. Um, But instead of it being her actual father, it was her stepfather who was married to her mother. And so she did not know her father growing up and she was very sheltered. And so she ended up escaping her life by um, marrying Jim Doherty at the age of 16. So she also married very, very young and he was in the Marines. And so while he was deployed in the South Pacific, she was actually discovered by a modeling agency. And so she didn't start off in movies initially, but eventually did work her way up to fame by the time Jim um, came back from, you know, being overseas, she was already starring in movie roles and they ended up getting divorced after four years. After that, she um, married Joe DiMaggio, which is one of probably her most famous marriages out of everybody. He's a baseball player. The marriage only lasted nine months. However, they were still like the best of friends afterwards like up until he died he left flowers on her grave every single year on like on the anniversary of her death and so um the marriage was very meaningful to him and then her last marriage was to um the playwright arthur miller and so that was like her longest marriage out of any of them and ended up being like very problematic so they had a lot of failed pregnancies for mental health started to really decline during that time and um, they ended up separating and she died almost exactly a year after they um, divorced she also died by overdose which is how Evelyn passed away in the book Um, and there were a lot of speculations as to why she passed away so um, some thought it was because the decline of her mental health other people thought it had to do with some of the secret relationships that she did have so JFK and his brother being two very big ones. So she had the whole thing with the happy birthday, Mr. President stunt that she pulled. Queen. Yeah, absolute queen for her to do that. (laughs) Thank you so much, Marilyn. That was a baller move. Um, But she did become very reclusive as she became older. Um, She died at the age of 36. So she was very, very young. Um, But it did just remind me very much of the story of Evelyn and kind of how she got her claim to fame. And um, Marilyn was definitely considered to be kind of like a sex icon still is to this day. Um, And I feel like that is how the public treated Evelyn as well. Yeah, for sure. I, I love like all those parallels. Yeah. Um, That's really interesting. Also in old Hollywood, a lot of couples did, like have farce marriages to hide like homosexual relationships and so Judy Garland and Liza Minnelli are two really really good examples of this so um Judy Garland she I a lot of people do think she herself was a lesbian or at least like a bisexual woman but she did frequent a lot of gay bars she was a really big advocate for homosexual men and so she may have just been an ally as well but um she was married to multiple men who ended up coming out as gay but stayed in relationships with them and um, her own daughter Liza Minnelli Um, was actually also in a relationship with Peter Allen, who later came out publicly as gay. Um, She found him with a man on their wedding night, 
in their bed um, and stayed with him for an additional eight years to kind of protect his identity. Um, and then her fourth or her later husband was found in bed with her mother's then fourth husband. And so just like it happened a lot more than you think it did. I think that's also just kind of funny, like the fact that they are mother and daughter and mm-hmm. like at one point too, like their husbands <laughs> slept together. Like that's just so iconic. Um, yeah. Liza Minnelli is one of my that favorite actresses in the entire world. Judy Garland, she was a very troubled woman. Um, She also died of an overdose. And she is a very good example of how child stars did not have a good in Hollywood during the 40s and 50s. 100%. Um, Um, Yeah. And like, she also died really young as well. mm -hmm. She died Um, in like her 40s, I think. Yeah. It's really, really sad. It's really sad. She deserved better. They all did. But Um, I do think it like, it was like I said, a lot more common than people thought. And like, there's a lot more representation in Hollywood now and in the movie industry to, you know, be in openly homosexual relationships that for the longest time, if you wanted to make it, you had to kind of sell what was popular. Yeah. You had to pretend to be just the all American family, the good Christian atomic family. um yeah so I do love that it this book does draw from like real like experiences for sure people some things that we disliked the list is short for me kind of yeah a a lot of it just has to do with like characters themselves like things about the characters or you know but like one thing I hated was the abruptness of Celia being like oh you want to be with me well actually I'm dying So how about that? But um, I do think that something good came out of it because I love this passage. Um, So Celia says, I can't in good conscience do this to you if you don't think you'll survive it. Evelyn says, survive what exactly? Losing me again. I don't want to let you love me if you don't think you can lose me one last time. I can't. Of course I can't. But I want to anyway. I'm going to anyway. I'd rather survive it than never feel it. So it's like even though that whole thing is the most tragic like news that Evelyn's ever heard. um, She's like, absolutely. I still like want to be with you. I still choose you. And so I think that's like, it ends up being a really good moment for them accepting how much they love each other, but it was very harsh and abrupt. Um, I hated just learning that about Celia's health. Yeah. And then of course, just like her husband's, like her abusive husband specifically, the ones that weren't like, they're fine, whatever. There's part of the storyline. We love them for making her who she was, but her terrible abusive husbands, like terrible part of the story hated that. Yeah. In part as well, but it was hard to read. Yeah. Yeah. And again, there's like, there's nothing that really could have been done differently. Like it's just part of the story, but I I hated that. No, I mean, there was not a lot I didn't like about the book just because, like I said, it was very real and those were very valid feelings that they were all feeling. And so you can't be mad at them for it. Yeah, I definitely don't fault Taylor Jenkins read for anything that yeah. I did not like about the book because I think everything was written the way it should have been. Yeah, it was just my personal like, oh man, that sucks. So kind of the last thing I wanted to talk about today is how much this story like resonates with some of Taylor Swift's songs that she's written. And 
they could be about anything because like songs or poems, like they can be applied to a lot of situations. Yeah. But I just have to like talk about some of these because they're like so like every time I hear this one specifically, I'm like, I can't think of anyone but Evelyn Hugo. So it's called The Lucky One. It's about an up and coming superstar realizing that fame is not all that they actually wanted. So they leave it all behind. And so some of the lyrics are new to town with a made up name in the angel city chasing fortune and fame and the camera flashes make it look like a dream. You had it figured out since you were in school. Everybody loves pretty. Everybody loves cool. So overnight, you look like a 60s queen. Another name goes up in lights like diamonds in the sky. And they tell you now you're the lucky one. And then um, you go to second verse. Now it's big black cars and Riviera views. And your lover in the foyer doesn't even know you. And your secrets end up splashed on the news front page. And they tell you that you're lucky, but you're so confused because you don't feel pretty. You just feel used. And all the young things line up to take your place. Another name goes up in lights. You wonder if you'll make it out alive. And they'll tell you now you're the lucky one. And the third verse says, it was a few years later I showed up here. And they still tell the legend of how you disappeared. How you took the money and your dignity and got the hell out. They say you bought a bunch of land somewhere, chose the Rose Garden over Madison Square. And it took some time, but I understand it now. Because now my name is up in lights, but I think you got it right. Let me tell you now, you're the lucky one. So it's like the cycle continues. Um, It's just there's always going to be some young new thing who takes the spotlight to realize like it's not what it's cracked up to be. Exactly. And that's exactly what Evelyn was dealing with was trying to stay relevant whenever she was like losing her like appeal of being like the new shiny young thing like that's why she took such drastic um like choices in her career and it's so heartbreaking to think about that like all these young women and it happens to young men as well sure but there's just like that extra layer on like being a young woman there's like an extra expectation yeah so freaking tragic I love that song it is 100% about Evelyn and then I'm like whenever she leaves that's like when she goes to Spain with Celia Mm -hmm. so I just love that and then okay so this song I actually think could be about any couple that can't be together because like one of them's like stuck in a loveless marriage but like again every time I hear it I'm like that's Evelyn and Celia so it's called Ivy we'll kind of go down here to the second verse. So this says, I wish to know the fatal flaw that makes you long to be magnificently cursed. He's in the room, your opal eyes are all I wish to see and he wants what's only yours. Oh God damn, my pain fits in the palm of your freezing hand, taking mine, but it's been promised to another. I can't stop you putting roots in my dreamland, my house of stone, your ivy grows and now I'm covered in you. Clover blooms in the fields, spring breaks loose, the time is near. What would he do if he found us out? Crescent moon, coast is clear, spring breaks loose, but so does fear. He's going to burn this house to the ground. How's one to know? I'd live and die for moments that we stole on begged and borrowed time. So tell me to run or dare me to sit and watch what we'll become and drink my husband's wine. And so it's just like, it, like the oh. chorus repeats, but it's like, um oh and the bridge is yeah it's a fire it's a goddamn blaze in the dark and you started it yeah it's a war it's the goddamn fight of my life and you started it so it's just like 
it has like all of that pent up frustration that yeah. Celia and Evelyn feel for each other. They're like, oh. fuck you for making me love you. And I just love it so much. Lastly, again, this could be about anything. It's like a little less um, specific, but the song Peace by Taylor Swift, it also gives me freaking just star-crossed lover vibes yeah. in general. It says, our coming of age has come and gone. Suddenly the summer, it's clear. I never had the courage of my convictions as long as danger is near. And it's just around the corner, darling, because it lives in me. No, I could never give you peace. But I'm a fire and I'll keep your brittle heart warm. If your cascade ocean wave blues come, all these people think love's for show, but I would die for you in secret. The devil's in the details, but you got a friend in me. Would it be enough if I could never give you peace? that is so them again it's like they can't have this life of peace together I feel like that kind of encompasses like all of the characters in that book who are like having to like hide and like be in like these loveless like partnerships yeah because they're like we can't be together and have like what we want life free of other people's judgment and a life of peace together. And it's so freaking tragic. That's really sad. I know you could make a whole playlist of <laughs> oh. Taylor Swift songs. Ooh, to I read bet they have like a whole Evelyn Hugo soundtrack. Ooh, oh, I'm up. sure. I'm sure. The Spotify Queens work hard. Um, <laughs> they know no peace like Taylor Swift. <laughs> yeah. They, they know no peace. They're making playlists for every single book in the world. Did that for um, us. But yeah, that was kind of the last thing I had to add to this that book discussion. Compasses Evelyn Hugo and her sad tales in a nutshell. Yeah. Very tragic. good book. Love that it was different than what we normally do. Um, if you want like a good, just like, it's not even a downer. Like if you just want like a good reality check, like. Yeah. <laughs> a reality check. That's perfect. But also like it's got tea, you know, it's got drama. It's wild. I loved it. <laughs> It keeps you guessing. Yeah, it was refreshing. Um, yeah, and let us know if you have any thoughts to add to our discussion of Evelyn Hugo. I think this one has probably, people have a lot of opinions about it of their own. So email us at the sisterswarden at gmail.com or you can DM us on Instagram, um, the yes. Sisters Warden. I'm actually looking up what our next book is. So next week for our mini-sode, we are going to be doing uh, The City of Indra. It's by Kylie and Kendall Jenner. Um, And so we're not going to like dive deep like we normally do because I can't imagine there is like much (laughs) depth to these books. I don't actually (laughs) know, like no offense to them, but uh, no offense to them. If you want to follow along after that, though, um, our next book is going to be one of my like guilty pleasure reads. Um, it's the Spanish Love Deception. It's by Elena Armas. Um, so we'll be breaking that one down for you. It's a really great rom com. It's a super quick read, but this will at least give you some time to kind of get started on it. Yeah, for sure. So please follow along with us. And as always, let's get lit. <laughs>